Welcome to the Christian History Podcast, Chapter 8, Episode 24. In the last episode, I completed the history of all the people, places, and things found in Judges 1, mostly the places. If you've missed any of the episodes so far, you should really go back and give them a listen. This week, I'm picking up in Judges 2, and with that, let's get started. The first place mentioned in Judges 2 is Gilgal, but I covered what's known about that location in Volume 1, Chapter 7, Episode 6, released in December 2020. Next is Botkilm, a place that much less is known about. It's only mentioned twice in the entirety of the Bible, and both references are in the first part of this chapter. There, we're told, the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bakim, addressed the Israelites, telling them, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I had promised to your ancestors, saying, I will never break my covenant with you. For your part, do not make a covenant with the inhabitants of this land. Tear down their altars. But you have not obeyed my command. See what you have done? So now I say to you, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become adversaries, and their gods shall be a snare to you. When the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the Israelites, the people lifted up their voices and wept. So they named that place Bachim, and there they sacrificed to the Lord. The footnote in both the New Revised Standard and the NIV tells us that the name Bachim translates to weepers. My take on it is the Israelites were not only weeping, but they were wailing and gnashing their teeth. Other than these few tidbits, little is known about the place. It's thought to be on the west bank of the Jordan. There's a minority that think it's merely another name for Bethel, placing it just north of Jerusalem. Part of the basis for this belief is how verse 1 is presented in the Septuagint that the angel of the Lord went from Gilgal to Bachim and to Bethel and to the house of Israel. Though the lack of knowledge about the place could merely indicate that Bachim wasn't that important in the historical narrative of the Old Testament, or that Bachim was a place where the congregation would assemble near Bethel. There's a similar theory that it's the same as Shiloh, and that's all there is for Bachim. So it goes with many of these places. Next, there's a pause in the text, a pause where we're told a few little nuggets. First, well, not really first, as it's presented, but anyway, Joshua dies when he's 110 years old. The thing that tends to get lost in the middle of this is the actions of the general Israelite population. The people worship the Lord all the days of Joshua in all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. So, essentially, everyone in his generation, which was supposed to be only he and Caleb, along with the generation after him, did as Moses and then Joshua had instructed them, probably for the most part. That whole generation passed, and another generation grew up after them. But they were different. They strayed. Which is what the next part of the chapter addresses. 
that generation, the one after the elders began worshiping Canaanite deities, specifically Baal and Ustartes, with the latter presented in the plural, maybe. But Baal is certainly not in the plural, though we know he took on various forms. I've covered Baal numerous times, so I'll avoid being redundant. But this is the first mention of Eustartes, and gives me something to cover, other than another lesser-known place. Eustartes is mentioned in the Old Testament as a foreign, non-Jewish goddess, usually as the principal goddess of the Sidonians, who many consider one and the same as the Phoenicians. The biblical Eustartes could be, but shouldn't be, confused with the goddess Ashura. I'll have more on that particular deity when I get to the next chapter of Judges, the location of her first mention. As if that isn't confusing enough, there is another name, Ashtaroth, that is thought to be the same Canaanite deity as Eustartes. For the purposes of brevity and clarity, I'm treating the two slightly different names like they do indeed represent the same thing. There's also Ashtaroth Karnaim, a place mentioned in Genesis 14, as a city in the land of Bashan, east of the Jordan River. This is likely the same place that's in Joshua 12, as the home of the defeated King Og. This place name literally translates to Ashtaroth of the Horns, with Ashtaroth being a Canaanite fertility goddess and horns being symbolic of the mountain peaks in the region. Figurines, assumed by some researchers to be Starte, have been found at various archaeological sites in Israel. Later, really much later, meaning some medieval and Renaissance writers would consider Ashtaroth to be a male demon. In all likelihood, these had no relationship to the Canaanite form, and were simply later writers borrowing the same name. Back in the Old Testament, Ustartes was simply the Greek name of the ancient Near Eastern goddess Ashtart or Athtart, a deity closely associated to another Semitic idol, Ishtar. Whichever name you choose, this goddess was worshipped in the region from the Bronze Age through classical antiquity. The name is particularly associated with her worship in the ancient region among the Canaanites and Phoenicians, though she was originally associated with Amorite cities like Ugarit in Imar, along with Mari in Ebla, all places I've previously covered, in Volume 1, so you should be somewhat familiar with these locations. Overall, Ustarti was a major goddess of both the Canaanite and the Phoenician pantheon, derived from an earlier Syrian deity. She is recorded in Akkadian, specifically as the feminine form of Ishtar. Given the Semitic roots of the various regional languages, it shouldn't be surprising that her name is very similar in Ugaritic, Phoenician, and even in Hebrew. Ustartes, at least later, was also found in Egypt, especially during the reign of the various Ramses, at least the earlier rulers with the name. All of this was following the importation of foreign cults there. This was in the 13th and 12th centuries BC, 
So, sometime after the period of the Exodus and during the period of the Judges, Phoenicians introduced her cult in their colonies as far away as the Iberian Peninsula, think Spain. More on her spreading influence in a minute. Besides the usual association with fertility, Eustartes was also seen to influence war, royal power, healing, and hunting, the latter most notably in Ugarit and Imar. Her symbol was the lion, the Barbary lion, and she was often associated with the horse and therefore chariots. Sometimes she is depicted as winged, carrying the solar disk and the crescent moon as a headdress and with her lions lying prostrate at her feet. Aside from the lion, she's associated with the dove and the bee. She's also seen sometimes with botanic life, plants such as the palm tree and the lotus flower. About the dove symbology, this has been uncovered on some Bronze Age cylinder seals. More certainly, there are images that depict her as a combatant on horseback or in a chariot. In the Bronze Age, and then into the Iron Age, Eustartes was worshipped in Syria and Canaan. This would spread to Cyprus, where she may have been merged with an ancient Cyproid goddess. The Cyproid goddess she was merged with may have been adopted into the Greek pantheon in the Mycenaean era to form Aphrodite though it seems that initially her form was less suggestive and more warlike than Ishtar originally was, perhaps because she was influenced by the Canaanite goddess Anat, and that therefore Ishtar, not Ustartes, was the direct forebearer of the Cyproid goddess. Got that? Don't worry, there's no quiz. Later, in classical Greece, then the Romans occasionally associated Aphrodite with Ustarte and many other Near Eastern goddesses in keeping with their frequent practice of synchronizing outside deities with their own. Backing up, obviously, given the mention in Judges and her lasting influence throughout the over-millennium that followed, her sway over the regional pantheon was more than usual. Major cities of Eustartes worship during the Iron Age were the Phoenician city-states of Sidon, Tyre, and Byblos. Coins from Sidon portray a chariot in which a globe appears, along with what's presumably a stone representing Eustartes. And a stone makes more sense than an actual globe, given the typical understanding of the shape of the earth at the time. She was often depicted on Sidonian coins as standing on the bow of a sailing galley, leaning forward with right hand outstretched, being the original of all figureheads for sailing ships. In Sidon, she shared a temple with another deity, in that case, Eshmoon. Coins from Lebanon show Poseidon, Ustarde, and Eshmoon worshipped together demonstrating the influence of Greek, Canaanite, and Sidonian culture. Her relics have also been uncovered throughout the Italian peninsula and on the island of Sicily. Three inscriptions from the Pergi tablets dating to about 500 BC found on the western coast of central Italy mention the construction of a shrine to Astarte, 
inside a temple dedicated to the local goddess Uni Estri. At Carthage, Astarte was worshipped alongside the goddess Tanit and frequently appeared as an element in people's given names. Still in the region, the Aramean goddess Atagedis may originally have been equated with Ustarde, though this particular association is not without detractors, which is likely true for nearly all the associations I've listed thus far. A particular artistic motif assimilates Ustarde with Europa, portraying her as riding a bull that would represent a partner deity. Similarly, after the popularization of her worship in Egypt, Egyptians would frequently associate her to the war chariot of Ra or Horus, as well as a specific kind of weapon, the crescent axe. Within Iberian culture, it has been proposed that native sculptures like those of Baza, Elik, or Cerro de los Santos might represent an Iberized image of Astarte or Tanit. Thankfully, there's still no intention for a quiz about all of these potential links to various pantheons. In the Baal Epic of Ugarit, dating to the Exodus, then Judges period, Ustardes is one of the allies of the hero deity Baal. With the help of Anat, she stops Baal from attacking messengers who deliver the demands of Yom. She later assists him in the battle against the sea god, possibly exhorting Baal to complete the task during the battle, whatever that really means. It's a matter of academic debate if they were also viewed as consorts to Baal, meaning Ustardes and Anat. Their close relationship is highlighted by the epithet Face of Baal, or the Name of Baal. And all of this is around the time the Israelites were abandoning God to worship her and Baal, as recorded in Judges 2. And that's likely the most important point that I need to make in covering her. The reason she's mentioned in Judges is that the Israelites were more drawn to her and the associated pantheon, and possibly due to this epic story frequently referred to as the Baal Cycle. Perhaps I'll get to that at some point in the future. It's also worth pointing out that this was just as Moses, then Joshua, had warned the people. But a couple of generations had passed, and those warnings were relegated to the dustpan of history. But Baal and Ustardes were then and now, at least to the Israelites. There's another associated story in this case the aptly named Myth of Ustardes the Huntress, that casts Ustardes as the protagonist, and apparently deals with her role as a goddess of the hunt stalking game in the savannah, and with her possible relationship with Baal. There are fragments of a narrative that describe Ustardes and the Canaanite goddess Anat hunting together. They were frequently treated as a pair in regional cults, by way of example, an incantation against snake bite involves them together in a list of gods asked for assistance. Though it does appear that Ustardes was more important to the locals than Anat. While this association between Astartes and Anat is well attested to in uncovered records, primary sources from Ugarit 
and elsewhere provide no evidence in support of the misconception that Asherah and Astartes were ever conflated, let alone that Asherah was ever viewed as Baal's consort, like Astartes probably was. Recall that Asherah is mentioned in the next chapter of Judges, Judges 3, and I'll get to her history in the near future. Though, for this episode, note that much of the confusion between the two seems to be on how interchangeably they are used in consecutive chapters of Judges. This could be unrelated, or could demonstrate that the writers of Judges didn't completely understand the Canaanite pantheon. To me, at least, either is believable. And that's all I really have time for in this episode. Join me next week when I'll wrap up what's known about Ustardes and keep pressing forward in Judges. You don't want to miss it. Comments and questions can be sent to comments at christianhistorypodcast.com. As always, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at christianhistorypodcast.com. This week, help others to find the podcast by leaving a positive review on iTunes or wherever you get the podcast from. You can find the Facebook page by searching the phrase Christian History Podcast as three separate words. Once there, be sure to like the page, if only so it's easier to find later. Finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, subscribe so you get the episodes as soon as they are released and you don't miss out. Thanks for listening and have a great week.